how entrepreneurs can leverage crypto and blockchain on today's episode. Are you a leader trying to get more from your business and life? Me too. So join me as I document the conversations, stories, and advice to help you achieve what matters in your life. Welcome to Unbound with me, Chris Dubois. Corey Carbon is not your typical finance guy. With over 20 years of leadership experience in finance, insurance, and fitness, he has a wealth of lessons learned. Corey has written two books, built a consulting company, and an SEC-registered hedge fund. Carries a wealth of knowledge, and today he is going to share some of those insights with us. Corey, welcome to Unbound. Thank you for having me, Chris. Uh, really excited to be here today. Yeah, I am excited to learn more because this is a topic I don't know a lot about, but it is something that if business owners and just leaders start taking advantage of, they can start putting their money to better use, uh, getting some leverage. And so let's uh, dive into that. Let's hear your origin story. Uh, definitely. So I, I, yeah, I live in Southern California in the Northern part of Los Angeles. I moved out here in 2005 with an ex-girlfriend of mine. My mom was born and raised in this area. So I had a lot of family members, cousins, aunts and uncles out here, but I grew up most of my life in the Midwest. Uh, Actually, my parents met in the Navy, and uh, they met in Italy, lived there for a few years, and then moved back to the States. I was born in Florida, but I was raised in Nebraska, which I just got back from yesterday. But, uh, you know, it, Nebraska is great. I, you know, just reminded of how great of a, a state it really is, uh, in, especially in terms of values, family, and football. But uh, growing up, you know, I had two things I could do. I could idolize football, which Nebraska was the best football team in the 1990s, and I could idolize Warren Buffett. So after high school was done, I really got into finance, and I, I started off my professional career in the insurance industry, uh, specifically a company called American Income Life, and they were owned by a parent company called Torchmark Corporation. And the whole reason I started with them was because Warren Buffett was their biggest individual shareholder. So I, I got really excited. And uh, a good friend of mine, Corey, uh, ironically, his name is also Corey. He recruited me into the company. And, you know, at the time I was actually training to be a personal trainer. But, you know, this guy was like a big brother to me. Um, and, I, yeah, I just went with it. I just dove into the finance and the insurance sector for years. Uh, but when I was a 22-year-old, really young, Italian-looking, with slicked-back dark hair, uh, it was very difficult to convince a 45-year-old white guy in Nebraska that I knew what I was talking about. So my way of overcoming that was just becoming an expert as fast as I possibly could in the insurance industry, which I did. I took every policy that I could back to my boss, and I had him explain everything to me, term life, whole life, variable life, index fund, universal life policies, how that ties into the stock market. I was studying Warren Buffett as much as I could because I just wanted to, you know, my, my dream is always to be wealthy. You know, my dad does very well now, but when I was a kid, I was not in the rich kid neighborhood. So that really inspired me. I always felt like I was missing out by not being a rich kid. So, you know, long story short, I moved to LA uh, a few years into the insurance industry. My ex-girlfriend and I moved out here in 2005 and I worked on Wilshire Boulevard, had some great mentors. And you know, after about seven to eight years in the insurance industry, you know, I, uh, you know, I, I got out of that industry. I went into real estate. Uh, you know, some reasons why I got out of it. You know, full disclosure is uh, I got in trouble. Just you know, that's no no bare bones about it. You know, I uh, I got in trouble and I wasn't able to drive. I got a DUI, 
And I, uh, you know, had to kind of take a, an adjusted route to what my future was going to look like. And right around this time, my best friend, Corey, um, actually passed away in a very tragic accident. So I went on like a two year downward spiral of just being lost, not really knowing what to do. Uh, long story short, I ended up homeless in LA and I didn't know if I was going to move back to Nebraska with my family. Um, or what I was going to do. I was literally on the street with my dog, no car, nothing to do. I was doing loan modifications at the time. And then I moved up to the northern part of Los Angeles, Santa Clarita, where I just reset my entire life. You know, I was, you know, in my 20s, earning six figures. And then all of a sudden I had nothing. It was just the biggest ego blow. Just, you know, one thing led to another. And I just found myself thinking, what am I doing? So long story short, I ended up uh, competing in a triathlon with my uncle, did very well um, in, in the terms that I finished. I didn't actually do well, but uh, I finished the triathlon. And then when I crossed the finish line, I just got this sense of accomplishment and I felt better than I had in years. So I decided to pursue fitness as my you know career at that point. And that was my original passion anyway. And, you know, I started off as a salesperson, uh, making 10 bucks an hour, which was a huge ego blow when I had my own insurance agency, but I became the number one salesperson in the company. Then I got promoted to sales manager, became the number one sales manager in the company, got promoted to general manager, got the number one spot there. And then the pandemic happened. I was on a great momentum upward trajectory, but then the pandemic happened and I wasn't sure if the gyms were going to reopen. I just didn't know. And also I figured out that Fitness is one of the hardest industries to work in, uh, in a corporate setting because your work, I was working 80 hours a week. It was insane. And the, the exchange of time for money just was killing me. So during the pandemic, I started doing insurance policy reviews. I was also writing a book at that time and I created my own company just to you know protect the rights of my book and liability purposes. But uh, during my insurance policy review sessions, every single person that I would explain what an index fund universal life policy actually does instead of what their broker told them what they think it does. Uh, they kept saying, can I just give you my money? And I would, you know, I'd give them advice. I'm like, I can't, I, I wish I could take your money, but I can't. And uh, I realized that my original business plan of doing unbiased policy reviews, it wasn't really a great opportunity in there, but I could help people invest. So I created a very small boutique investment fund that went through the motions six months to get started. And during this whole time is when I kept hearing about Bitcoin. And as a Warren Buffett disciple, which is usually the reason why I like to bring that up prior to going into anything crypto related, as a Warren Buffett disciple, I automatically thought Bitcoin was a scam. I'm never going to invest in it. Charlie Munger said it's rat poison. All the mainstream media, which we know about them now, they're saying it's garbage. But I was just curious. And you know, like Kobe Bryant, he's just a curious person. And ironically, my coaching program is called the Mamba Approach because of Kobe Bryant. But I was just wanted to know for myself. And I figured I'm like, Warren Buffett doesn't even know how to send an email. How is he going to know about blockchain technology and whether or not it's valuable? So once I dove in, and I, drew, I truly believe that anybody that studies blockchain and Bitcoin for 100 hours plus will really see the value in it. Instead of just making false assumptions based on somebody else's narrative, or based on a headline that they see in the media. So that's what I did. I called Fidelity because I was partners with them in the fund. They gave me this whole list of glossary uh, terminology. I went all in, studied it extensively, 
And the first reason why I got into it was because of greed, 100%, because I just wanted to get crazy investment returns. And, you know, that's initially when, when I saw how the supply and demand worked, we can talk about that if you like in a second. But when I saw how the supply and demand and the having the supply suffocation all would funnel drastic price increases over the years, I just thought it was a no brainer. But it wasn't until I really started to learn about the Federal Reserve, the central banks, really studied macroeconomics, uh, really learned about how money printing affects a society, how taxation could be theft in some people's eyes. And I just, I, I really orange, got orange built, is what they say in Bitcoin. And I studied all these things and I realized that the cause is not just financial gain, it's financial inclusion. And then I, that's when I really became just totally hooked. And I started studying other cryptos. Most of them are garbage. I will be honest with you and all your listeners. But I studied other cryptos and just looking to see what has value and what the potential for the future is, incorporated that into my investment fund and just have not turned back. When the, when the, gyms reopened, I got promoted to a regional director. So now I had four gyms, you know, 50,000 members that uh, they answered to me, thousand employees. And I was like, man, they keep promoting me. And all I want to do is quit. Um, and then finally in February of 2022, had a six figure salary, good bonus opportunities, good upward trajectory. I decided to walk away and just pursue entrepreneurship full time. And now what I do is I'm, I'm an author. I own a hedge fund. My co-owner is uh, my old business mentor from Gold's Gym, actually. And then I own a coaching company. All of it's crypto-related, fitness-related. So I took my passion, my purpose, what I'm good at. I just intertwined it all together. And I'm just you know excited for the future and willing to and wanting to just help as many people as possible. All right. There's a lot we can dive in. Yes, there uh, is. I'm going to give you probably... The most open-ended question that I can, gotcha. which is why crypto? Why crypto? Um, I would say crypto provides the most, uh, there, there's some negatives to it too. But crypto for me is a, you know, I, I read how the uh, the country, uh, the United States went from, you know, the banking that they did pre-1800s and how they went into the Federal Reserve monetary system, how they went from you know, a gold-backed currency into a fiat currency. And a fiat currency is where a dollar is not backed by anything tangible. So a lot of people say, oh, Bitcoin's not backed by anything. What is a U.S. dollar backed by if it's not gold anymore? So what I, uh, you know, what I looked at is our banking system right now, they call it the legacy banking system. It's built on technology that was pre-1900s. That's, that's what the technology is built on. And yes, computers have made it easier in terms of ledger technology, but you also look at the Federal Reserve and the central banks. You know, Federal Reserve basically started in 1913 in America, and it was because of bank runs that were happening and the instability of people not being able to get their money out, which is a, a serious concern. But after 1913 up until today, the Federal Reserve, which is actually a private institution, even though the Federal Reserve Act was enacted by Congress, but the Federal Reserve and the central banks are private companies and they have never once been audited by a third party. Never once. So what they also can do is they can print money at will, which dilutes the dollars in your bank account and my bank account. And so when I when I looked at all this and you know I look at the Bitcoin blockchain, the Bitcoin blockchain has run seamlessly now for over 10 years, which doesn't compare to 120 years. I understand that. But it's also audited every 10 minutes 
minutes, every 10 minutes for validation and transparency to make sure that there's no mistakes. Everything that's recorded is actual and factual, and it's validated by tens of thousands of people worldwide. And it's recorded in a ledger that's open source that every single person in the world can read, as well as it's timestamped and made immutable so it can never be altered. So when I looked at that, I really looked at a way to almost, this, this is a bad analogy, but I'll, I'll use it. Like in Fight Club, if you remember at the end when Brad Pitt blows up all the credit card buildings in Miami, it's a way to kind of reset everybody's debt. And I looked at Bitcoin as a way to provide, you know, kind of like a new hope and a new beginning financially because it's such a small percentage of the uh, world that controls the entire world and their finances. So when I looked at Bitcoin, it's like, you know, it's a fair game for everybody. It's like a chance for the little guys now to really build something without having to wonder if they're allowed in the club. So it was just about inclusion. And I also found out what, you know, remittances do to third world countries and how money printing done in America and how it really, really affects all these other countries around the world in a negative way. So it's uh, it just it just provided a different perspective on financial inclusion. And with blockchain technology, it just was to me, it was just once I found out everything, it was it was a no brainer. So let's actually go into the supply and demand piece. Oh yeah, of this. one of my favorites. Because how, how, where is the supply coming from? Okay, to create the demand? yeah. So this is where a lot of people are misunderstood. Is they think that Bitcoin is just created out of thin air, um, which some cryptos it is, and those are the cryptos you want to really stay away from. And those are the cryptos that you want to be very um, you know, skeptical of, because anybody that can just like look look at FTX as an example, and their, and their token, FTT. And what happened with that is they created fake money out of thin air, and they artificially inflated it, and then they dumped it. So what that does is that screws over a lot of people. So Bitcoin, I like to call it the Jesus of crypto, which pisses off some people, but they can get over it. So it's because you know Jesus was you know the immaculate conception. Bitcoin was created through a process called mining. And so the way that the algorithm works is you have a block of transactions. Let's say I sent you $1,000 in Bitcoin, okay? And that's from my wallet to your wallet. That $1,000 before it reaches your wallet is validated by multiple computer nodes, which can be an individual or any type of computer system that says, okay, does Corey actually have $1,000 to send to Chris? He does. Is his public address an actual Bitcoin address? It is. Okay, now he can send it to Chris, and that's a validated transaction. So when I send it to you, it's now in your wallet, right? So when that happens, then that is recorded in that block. And every 10 minutes, that block, uh, it's, it's a storage block, right? It's filled up with transactions. And when that transaction fills the entire block, which there are seven transactions per second that fill, then a new block is created through a process called Bitcoin mining. And what mining is, it's a very high-powered computer that solves an algorithm to create a block. And this algorithm is easily verified by other sources, but it's it's uh, impossible to unwind because of what's called a SHA-256 security hash function. So it's something that the NSA came up with. And it's like, it's, it's, it's basically if I send you a message, it goes through this compression where 256 ones and zeros come. 
And then in order to reverse engineer it, you would be nearly impossible. So Bitcoin's protected by this thing called a double shot 256. So it can't, can't be reverse engineered. So then every time a new block is created, 50 Bitcoin were rewarded to whoever solved that algorithm. So it's like mining for gold, but you're mining for Bitcoin. And so that happened from the year 2008 to 2012. So in 2012, that reward was cut in half. So every 10 minutes, whoever solved that algorithm, instead of being rewarded 50 Bitcoin per block, they'd be rewarded 25. So then that creates what's called a deflationary environment and eventually creates something called supply suffocation. So anybody knows that if there is less supply and more demand of any product or service, the price of that is going to go up. I always use a, a lemonade analogy. So if a little girl selling lemonade on a 110 degree day in a cul-de-sac in a very nice neighborhood and there's 50 people in line and she has five glasses left, guess what? She can charge whatever the heck she wants. But if it's a 30 degree day and she has 50 glasses and nobody in line, she has to lower those prices to like 10 cents just to be able to move them. So that's what happens with Bitcoin. In 2016, the next halving happens. And that's where the reward was reduced from 25 per block to 12 and a half. And then 2020, it was reduced from 12 and a half to 6.25. And the next halving is scheduled for April of 2024 and that's when it's going to reduce to 3.125 per block in the year 2032 it'll be the first time ever that the bitcoin reward will be under one per block and the last bitcoin which is like a very small decimal will be mined in the year 2140 so even if the demand stayed the same which it's not because obviously there's more demand every single year but if the demand stayed the same and the supply just kept suffocating over time what I always tell people to do is don't look at the short-term volatility, zoom out to a five to 10 to 15 year mark. Because if you zoom out in five years from before today, Bitcoin's killing it. You know, you can't look at the high of last year and say, okay, it's failing because it does this cycle every four years. As after the halving, the supply is suffocated, the price just, you know, just skyrockets. And then what ends up happening, people sell off. You know, like if you, if you had a 10X investment, wouldn't you take profits? Of course, but people FOMO in on the way up, but the smart people bought when it was low. So right now, everybody's all skeptical of Bitcoin, but they don't realize the wave that's coming because if the BlackRock ETF gets approved, which they're pushing hard for it to do, you're going to see $30 trillion of institutional wealth flood the market and have the ability to now legally buy Bitcoin as the ETF on the computer. What? I guess for those of us who don't understand the ramifications mm -hmm. of that, what's going to happen what what should we be expecting so I guess? let's uh yeah so just to match so bitcoin's market cap right now is less than a trillion dollars so there are a lot of institutions that want to buy bitcoin but legally can't buy it on their balance sheet so there's also sovereign wealth you know rich families from maybe the uae or all across saudi arabia that you know invest in america and they want to buy Bitcoin too, and they want to own a piece of the market, but they can't because sovereign wealth funds can't come in and purchase Bitcoin. Uh, it's just part of international law. So if they have the ability now to buy Bitcoin, just imagine there's only, you know, right now, I think 19.5 million Bitcoin have been mined, roughly. So there's only a million, a million and a half left to be mined in the next 120 years. 
So just imagine that $5 trillion comes in to buy and there's only a half a trillion dollar market cap right now. They're just going to be buying all that loose, that, that supply that's just sitting there. And so then the availability of Bitcoin is going to be very low, which is just going to skyrocket the price. So if you have $5 trillion that go in and it's a, a half a billion dollar market cap for Bitcoin alone right now, that means you're looking at a significant you know, 10x investment really, really quickly. That means you could be looking at you know, from a $30,000 Bitcoin to $300,000 in the matter of two years easily. So I said, you know, based on the previous history and the charts that I've studied, you know, you'll probably see a six figure guaranteed Bitcoin, regardless of an ETF getting uh, approved by the SEC. But if it does, then you're just going to see that much more money flood into the market. Gotcha. So let's shift a bit to just Bitcoin or not, sorry, not Bitcoin, see all the terms. Get me blockchain. The, the blockchain is a technology, right? They can be used for other other things as well. What? Yeah. What so is let's, blockchain? I guess, and then what can we yeah, be using for? I mean, blockchain is open source. Uh, so, so just imagine that you have a checkbook, and every time you write a check, you write the amount of that you know check in the ledger. So, all blockchain technology is is everything's transactional because everything is code. You know, you got ones and zeros, just you're shifting around the internet at light speed. So um, if I'm sending you value, then that is code if I'm sending it to you digitally. So I could be sending you a, you know, a document, you know, for example, I have a, a nice watch in my watch collection in my room and I have an NFT that is a certificate of authenticity that's stored on an open source blockchain. So if I want to sell you that watch, you can pay me and then I can send you the certificate of authenticity on the blockchain, which is verified by multiple parties and traced back to its source. So, you know, that's essentially what it is. Now that value could be anything such as the actual crypto. It can be a document. It could be the logistics of a, uh, a supply chain. So, for example, if you wanted to buy, you know, let's say a case of wine and that case of wine was from Italy what blockchain technology could do specifically in that example is you can say, okay, how do I know if this case of wine is actually bottled and picked in Italy? Because you really don't know. If you go to Ralph's right now, which is a grocery store here, you're just trusting that they're not full of crap. You know, you're like, oh, it's made in Italy. It must be because it says it right there. But how do you really know? So in a blockchain that tracks the logistics of a supply chain, you could literally look on the blockchain and you can trace it from point A to B. Say, okay, this was you know, picked in Sicily by Farmer John and he bottled it in Milan and then it was shipped to the UK and it got on a, a freight train to New York and then it was distributed on like a blockchain would be able to track everything. And with a simple QR code on there in your phone, you could see the entire logistics of it. So any type of industry that suffers from fraud, from cop being copied, like a Louis Vuitton purse, I mean, 90% of Louis Vuitton purses you see are fake, you know, and they, they, they suffer big from things like this. So you have the ability now to trace products on a blockchain to a source to verify its authenticity. Companies that have uh, a lot of shady dealings are not going to like it. You know, like, for example, what if you trace your phone and you realize that it's, you know, made under terrible child conditions you know, that's not good for whoever phone company is making that so yeah you know, it's also good for gaming 
too. You know, uh, that's good for dating websites. You know, the reason I got into blockchain technology, and I, I didn't even mention this, is in 2020, uh, I've had two back surgeries in the last two years. And my first back surgery is was in 2020. And I would, you know, it was pandemic, so it sucked seeing a doctor. I had to wait forever. I had to do all these teleconference calls. It was, it was terrible. And then I, I was in tremendous pain. I had ruptured discs and they were pressing against my nerves. I just, I didn't sleep for like six months. It was, it was awful. And then I would go to like all these doctors and they, you know, you ever been to a doctor and they have to, you have to fill out like 10 pages worth of stuff. It's just, it's ridiculous. And then I had to go to another doctor, felt the same thing. Another doctor felt the same thing. And I was like, I don't know a lot about blockchain technology, but doesn't that solve this specifically? Like, can't you just get my medical records if I give you authorization on the block? They're like, well, we don't even use that. They're, they're still using papers to be able to fax and send and scan. I'm like, this is terrible. Don't you think blockchain would be good for boating? Okay, maybe the election in 2020 would have went a little differently. You know, for sure, maybe, maybe with that transparency that's verified by third parties, you'd know if Biden won or if Trump won. I mean, that the blockchain technology would solve voting issues for sure. Uh, and sure, for sure would help me with my surgeries. You know, if you're applying for a loan modification, a refinance or purchasing a home, any homeowner is frustrated because they send their paychecks and their taxes 10 times before the loan officer actually said they received them. So with blockchain, you'd be like, here's my file stamped on the blockchain sent. You received it on this date. No questions asked. You know, the deed of your house, the title of your car, all this stuff can be stored using blockchain technology where it's totally transparent and you actually own and control your identity, your goods, your services, everything's on there. So, yeah, so there are a lot of uses that, uh, and there are plenty of companies right now starting out yep. to, you know, specifically create yeah, blockchain there's, based there's private technologies and then there's public so, blockchain. so private blockchains are companies that created their own blockchain but it's only viewable within their private company uh which is fine you know it's still a great way to track things and to have transparency within that company uh, a public blockchain is where anybody can view the source code that has access to the internet so it's uh you know you know one's not better than the other but in terms of like certain things like voting should be on a public blockchain you know maybe our medical records should be on a private blockchain and stuff like that so i mean it's 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 it doesn't solve everything but it definitely can provide a lot of solutions but a lot of people think that in the next 10 years it's going to solve world hunger and i i think it could potentially solve you know if you fix the money you can really fix a lot in the world you can fix crime poverty you there's a ton of stuff that you can fix if you fix the money but it doesn't fix everything, and it takes a long time. I read about how long it took for the Federal Reserve System to get enacted, and I'm like, oh, I mean, you're, you're going to have congressmen, you're going to have politicians, you're going to have people that are leeching off the system right now eventually lose their jobs because they're going to be inadequate, and they're not going to be needed anymore. And there's going to be, I don't know if you watched the UFO thing uh, lately, but um, yeah, the, the, they had an open UFO trial, but one of the whistleblowers said, that there's a misappropriation of funds where like hundreds of billions of dollars is being redirected to the secret UFO program. And he's a you know, air force guy. And that wouldn't happen with blockchain because you would be able to see where everything's going. So all of a sudden somebody says, where did that trillion dollars go? And they don't have an answer for it. They didn't need to be held accountable. And that's where the challenge is going to be in switching to an open source monetary system. Right. And then we'd all, 
see the aliens and so that was hopefully uh, that's what i'm out i yeah. watch the news every day just hoping to be like hey we're here <laughs> uh, all right so i want to get into the, the hedge fund that you have what the, what does it require for uh, someone to to be able to invest with you so it's uh it's for accredited investors so for those that aren't sure what accredited means is you have to have a verified net worth of a million dollars or more so you know the and that an accredited investor means you could either earn two hundred thousand dollars a year for the last two years or you have to have a net worth of a million dollars and that does not include your own personal property so if you do qualify as an accredited then you can invest in the it's a way that we can, you know, talk about it publicly and discuss some returns without getting sued by the SEC. So, the uh, we have these things called offering periods, and this is how we're able to bypass a lot of RIA laws uh, and you know participate in like blue sky laws from state to state. Is when an offering happens, you know, people can invest, and when the offering closes, that pool of money is all invested at the same time. So that way, they can enter the market and exit the market at the same time they choose to so when we do that uh, we have offerings all the time you know the uh, we, we were starting to move more into institutions so we are broker dealers we're trying to work now with like family offices multifamily offices as well as nonprofit organizations and big institutions because you know we have a goal to get to a hundred a billion dollars in assets under manager by 2030 and getting there from a twenty thousand dollar investment here or fifty thousand dollars that's that's just that's not working smart it's helping people but so we make exceptions if somebody wants to retail invest uh and they're accredited you know we we do allow them to start with a smaller amount and then yeah we we work with a great fund administrator called nav consulting they have over 180 billion dollars in assets under administration and you know they're they're based out of chicago they have offices all over the world and they do all of our record keeping and it's good to have a third party fund administrator because then you know the transparency is there and it's checked and verified by somebody else. And then we have multiple keys. So money cannot even be released into the fund or out of the fund unless three entities actually approve it. So it prevents any, uh, you know how you hear those horror stories of hedge fund people running off with money. You know, we couldn't do that if we want to because we don't even have the ability to wire transfer money out of our accounts. So when we want to initiate a transfer, we have to get permission. Even though it's our fund and we own it, we have to get permission to to onboard and offboard money. And I think as an investor, that would make somebody feel good. Yeah, that's a good little station net. Mm-hmm. Uh, it takes a little bit longer, right. but it is you know it is it is something that provides a lot of security for people. But yeah, we uh, you know it's a, it's a Web three blockchain fund. So our main holdings are Bitcoin and Ethereum. And we did get into Ethereum, but Ethereum is what's called a second generation blockchain, and it's considered general purpose in the sense that it's a blockchain where other applications can be built on top of. So, you know, you guys, uh, what's the popular mall you have in the East Coast there? Like a big, big mall. Yeah. You have, you have Westfield Mall? No. I, I mean, there's a, I'm up in Maine. There's no stores here. No, no stores? Uh, okay. I live in the woods. But the, uh, I it. mean, whatever Boston has, Boston probably has a mall of some sort. Okay, well, you know, there's a mall <laughs> called Westfield, and it's one of the biggest malls in the world. They're international. That's why I, I use it. But gotcha. I, I notice they don't have a lot in the West and the East Coast. But Westfield Mall, what they do is they buy a property, right? They build on that property, and that would be like the Ethereum blockchain. They build a blockchain, just like Westfield Mall builds a property, 
And once the property is built, then they can rent out stores to other businesses. And so the same thing, the Ethereum blockchain allows developers to build their own blockchain applications on top of their pre-built land. And you know, that, you know, like for example, when I worked at Gold's Gym, it was on a Westfield Mall. Gold's Gym pays rent to Westfield. So if you walked into Gold's Gym, this is the difference though, is if you wanted to buy anything in Gold's Gym and it was, you know, on the Ethereum blockchain and it was Gold's Gym crypto, you could only buy things in that gym with Gold's Gym bucks, Gold's Gym crypto. So basically these decentralized applications that are built on top of Ethereum, the only way you can transact within their stores is through the crypto that's native to their ecosystem. And the way you do that is you purchase that crypto with Ethereum. And so, and then again, that, that those applications could be everything I talked about earlier, logistics, it could be dating, it could be anything that's built on top of it. So that while Bitcoin is the best store of value and the most secure, biggest blockchain, Ethereum is really important because then it provides all those use cases and applications to be built where they can actually provide real. Well, of course, that was a, you know, a wealth of knowledge. Uh, I think I said that in the bio, actually, uh, and you've proven it. I want to go into our kind of semi-rapid fire questions here. Absolutely, uh, bring them on. So first, what book, uh, separate from your own, do you think everyone should read? So I think uh, one of my favorite books lately is something called The Art of Impossible. And it's by a gentleman named... Stephen Kotler. Absolutely. So the reason why I think that's so important, because if anybody that's listening to this is an entrepreneur, uh, you have to really prime yourself to be in the right state of mind to be able to become successful. And, you know, everybody has a vision for themselves, but you have these walls that you're always going to hit over and over and over again. And there's two types of impossibles. There's an impossible with a lowercase i, and there's an impossible with an uppercase i. The lowercase i is what's impossible to you. So you might be living at your parents' house and it's impossible for me to get my own place. Or you might be driving a, you know, um, a, a Toyota and you want a Maybach. And you'd be like, that's impossible to me. And then there's look, big case um, impossible. And that's somebody that's really trying to achieve something that's never been done, like Elon Musk. And this book, what it really does is it talks about the intersections and it also talks about getting into what's called flow state, which I'm sure you've heard of. And there is a formula to get into flow state. So, and it's it's a documented formula. You know, you see the goat wall behind me and you see some of the best athletes that have ever played. You see Tom Brady, you see Kobe Bryant, you see Michael Jordan. And you've seen, like, I, Tom Brady is the best flow person I've seen him you know, since Kobe, since Jordan. You know, when he has that look on his face and there's a minute left, and you're like, oh, he's going to win. I know they're down two touchdowns, but he's going to come back and do it. And he just dials in flow. But there's precursors that got him to that state of mind. And there's precursors that we can do in life to get us to that flow state. That way, when the time is needed, you can activate it like that. But if you don't know the precursors, you're never going to get it. Because opportunity sometimes doesn't knock a second time. But if you are practicing, you know, the best, you know, this is a, a nugget that everybody should use. Have yourself a to-do list, you know, because and you got to stack small wins daily in order to have the big wins that come publicly. So you got to win privately and then win publicly first. So if you can do that through stacking wins through to-do lists, 
setting goals that are a little outside of your comfort zone that are you believe you can reach, but it takes a lot of hard effort to do so. And then being able to, you know, be around the right people. It just, it lays out a total formula for you. And for anybody looking to achieve big things, it's the way to go. Yeah. Take a swing. Awesome. It takes like three reasons, um, two to three. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think I did the audio book. Um, what is next for you professionally? So the, uh, I, I'm, I'm at where I'm at. The, uh, my, my next two goals are pretty big. So, uh, we have a seven figure business with the hedge fund, but, uh, our goal this year is to get it to uh, eight figures. So that's, that's a huge, huge goal that we have. And we believe that if we can get it to eight figures by December 31st, 2023, that by the time the halving occurs with Bitcoin and the uh, price increases mixed with some solid trading, that we can be a 50 to $100 million business by 2025, 2026. So that's, that's goal number one. And then that puts us in a position to reach our next goal, which is a billion dollars by 2030. After that, you know, I have a passion for coaching. I love helping people. And I, I want to get the uh, Mamba approach, which is my coaching company, I want to get that to eight figures within the next five years. And what I do there, because I teach people how to invest in crypto, all the stuff that I just re- laid out for you, I teach people how to sign up for their exchange, how to do their first transfer, what cryptos to invest in, how to do asset allocation, how to determine how much you should invest, developing a plan for you. So I did that for a while, but you know, some people did very well, some people failed. Most people that failed were people that already you know, we're kind of failing in life. Like they didn't have consistency. They weren't going to the gym. Maybe they were struggling at work, struggling in their business. So that's when I figured out, you know, you got to build the person first and then build the portfolio after. So now we took more of a holistic approach where we teach people how to get fit, how to eat right, how to get natural energy, how to feed their mind positively, how to create flow in their lives, alignment. And then as we do that, we start introducing and laying the foundation, getting out of debt, getting a crypto portfolio set up for you and then starting to build a foundation that you can get excited for. So that's, that's, and, that's it. Yeah. And so uh, where can people find you? So I'm on Instagram. If you guys want to see me just blown on my Instagram story daily, it's uh, at cm.carbone and that's C-A-R-B-O-N-E. Uh, you could go visit our website and that's pivotalpointinvesting.com. And you can go to YouTube and it's, you know, YouTube and it's at the Mamba approach. Awesome. Corey, thanks for joining me today. Absolutely. Appreciate your time, Chris. And, uh, you know, thanks for having me on. If you enjoyed today's episode, I would love a rating and review on your favorite podcast player. And for more information on how to build effective and efficient teams through your leadership, visit leadingforeffect.com. As always, deserve it.